And have a seat. How would you define success? My guess is that we have lots of different definitions for that word in this room because we live different lives. So some of you would say, you know, I run a small business or a farm and success for me is that business being successful, making enough to support my family and having something to leave my kids when I'm gone and maybe participating in some group in the community and being on a board, doing things that make a difference. Those are good things to call success. Or maybe some of you would say, you know what, for me, success is being the very best parent or if you're at a different stage in life, grandparent that I can possibly be and building into my kids or grandkids, that would be success. That true. That also is a, a good way of thinking about success. Maybe you're trying to move up a corporate ladder or you work for the government and you're trying to advance in that way and, and moving up means more responsibility, opportunity, more money. Those are things that would help your family. That could define success for you. Or maybe you're a teacher and for you success means that you're making a difference in the lives of students and passing something on to them and hopefully at some point you might be recognized for doing a good job in that role. That would be success. Again, that's a good thing. Now, the question for us is, as we think about all of our definitions of success, and all those that I've mentioned are positive, right? The question for us is, does all of that square with the way Jesus would define success? Is that what success looks like to him? We're in this series that I'm calling 50 Days with Paul, and we're thinking about how do I prepare myself for the Easter season, right? We're going we're gonna to think through the, the death of Jesus in our Good Friday service, and our kids are going to have a great time on the Saturday and Sunday morning. Easter Sunday will come together, and it's just over a month away, and it'll be a celebration of who Jesus is and his resurrection. How do we prepare for that? How do we lead up to that? Lots of ways to do that. We could do that by reading the Gospels. That's what we did last year. We looked through the Gospel of John. This year, I wanted us to spend some time in Paul's epistles, his letters. And so we're spending the 50 days leading up to Easter, reading some of those passages in which Paul doesn't tell the story of Jesus as the Gospels do, but he takes that story and interprets it for us so that we can understand, okay, who is Jesus? What does all this mean? And how do I live a life of following him. So our question today is if I'm following Jesus, does my understanding of success line up with what Jesus says? Now, two weeks ago, we started the series thinking about the hope that we have in Jesus. Last week, we talked about a great passage that I love in Colossians chapter 1 that talks about who Jesus is, that he is Lord, that he is God himself. Today, we come to another passage, and all these are pretty well known, but this one is very well known. It's in Philippians 2. Now, when we turn to Philippians, what we have is a letter, relatively short letter compared to some of Paul's other letters, a letter written to this church in the city of Philippi. Paul is in prison. He's writing to them and instructing them. And in the middle of chapter 2, we have this great, well, sort of a poem that Paul gives us that describes Jesus. Now, if you've got your Bible, I'd love for you to open it to Philippians chapter 2 or look it up on your phone. Or if you don't have that, take a Bible from the pew or the chair in front of you and turn to page 951. That's where Philippians chapter 2 is. And if you look at Philippians 2, beginning in verse 6, you don't even have to read it, but you'll notice it's set out like a poem. And our translators are making a decision when they do that because 
in the original language, okay, paper is so valuable in the ancient world, you're not going to waste any of it. So you're going to use up, use up as much as possible. So you're not going to write anything out as poetry. It's all just squished together, as close as it can be, okay? But our translators have set this off in poetry because if you look at the Greek, the language that it was written in, the way the meter works and all that that poetry has, this looks like poetry. So that helps us understand it a little better. And we have to think through, okay, well, I wonder if Paul wrote this for the letter, like he, he just wrote this poem to put in this letter, or is he borrowing some poetry that everybody already knew, or maybe this is a hymn that was sung in churches maybe all over the Roman Empire because they all spoke Greek, and this is something that everyone is familiar with. So when Paul inserts it into this letter, they go, oh yeah, we've sung that before. I remember that. And now it speaks to me in a new way. We don't know, but we know he's included this as poetry. And when we think about poetry, sometimes it's a little hard to pick apart because you lose something. So I want to be careful that we're bringing this whole back together by the time we finish today. But it says some really important things. Sometimes this is called the Christ hymn because it's poetry or a hymn that tells us about who Jesus is and some things that maybe we don't get elsewhere. So... Let's hear what Paul has to say and think about what this says about how Jesus might understand what success is. Let's think about it. So Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, he's talking about Jesus and he says, Jesus, who being in very nature God. Now let's hold that thought right there before we go any further because we're back to the topic that we talked about last week. <clears throat> last week we said... In Colossians chapter 1, that Paul is really clear that everything that God is was present in the person of Jesus. Okay, so he was fully God and fully man. If we want to see the very best picture of God that we can find, we look to Jesus. That's where he's opening this hymn or this psalm, this poem, if you will. Uh, he starts with just that topic. I'm not going to go there because we talked all about it last week. So if you want more on that and you didn't hear it, listen to it online. Paul goes in a different direction here. So we start with this image of Jesus as God, but he says, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now that phrase, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, literally is something like, he didn't want to use it to, to be grasped. He didn't want to hold on to equality with God. Now, I don't think Paul is saying that somehow Jesus was no longer God when he was a human being. Okay, Because he's really clear about that sort of in the rest of this, but in other places as well. But the word has a connotation of holding on to something to use it for myself. So Jesus doesn't hold on to the fact that he is God to use it for himself. It's not about his benefit, his pleasure, or anything like that. He uses his godliness for another purpose. And that's what the rest of this poem is all about. What did Jesus use his godliness for? And the answer is us. Next verse. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Beginning of verse 7, he made himself nothing is he emptied himself. 
Again, not emptied himself of his godliness, but he emptied himself by becoming a human being. It was a step down for him. Now, we can't talk about Jesus' godliness in terms of success, right? Because he doesn't earn that. He's not chosen for that. That's just who he is. Before creation, before all things, Jesus is still there. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus is part of God. But he has this position that is above every other position, a position of power and influence, a position of authority. What does he do with it? He empties himself. And he takes on the form of a human being. The likeness of a human. So he's one of us. He looks just like us. He has a physical body just like we do. And Paul says that was a, was a step down, if you will. Because suddenly he feels hunger. And he feels pain. He feels all the things that we feel that are involved in having a physical body that he had not experienced before, but now he does. And he did that for a reason. He did that for us. The word there says he took on the very nature of a servant. It's actually the word slave. Now, Jesus wasn't a slave. He wasn't owned by someone. But Paul's point is, Jesus didn't come as a king. He didn't come as the Roman emperor. He didn't come as some governor. He didn't come as a person of power and authority. He didn't come as a person who had a lot of wealth. He, he comes and he's, he's in Galilee, away from the seat of religious and political power, even in this area we call Palestine, a place that wasn't nearly as important as, say, Rome or Ephesus or Corinth. None of those places. Jesus is in the backwoods, living a life that was very common and very difficult. I mean, if he had wanted an easier life, he should have come now because we got some advantages that he didn't have. But that's not what Jesus did. He humbled himself. He emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. Verse 9, or verse 8, excuse me. And being found in appearance as a man, he looked like us, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Now, there, there's very few ways to die that are worse than hanging on a Roman cross. I, they thought of just about as much pain and humiliation as possible, and they, they came up with the cross. Hanging there, nearly naked, in front of everyone, you can't move because your arms and legs are nailed there. You're in excruciating pain. People are sort of insulting you verbally, probably physically as well, calling you names. You're thirsty. You're dying. It was not just humbling. It was humiliating. And Jesus chose that. He chose that because in that, he paid the price for our sins and defeated the power of evil. So Jesus is God. Jesus is reigning with God over all creation that we said last week was created for him and with him and by him. And then before you know it, he's hanging on a Roman cross, humiliated and in excruciating pain 
ready to die. And Paul says, in that moment, things change. We have, we have this picture of it all begins with Jesus as God, and it descends to becoming a human, and then hanging on a cross. And that's the low point in this poem, and sort of the, the powerful point of meaning that's here. And then we have a turning point, and everything goes back up. Verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name. But it's only because of his willingness to humble himself. Only because of his willingness to become a servant, a slave. Only because of his willingness to face humiliation on a cross that God then exalts him to the highest place that is above every other name. Verse 10, And at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here we have at the end, Jesus exalted once again. But there's that moment in the middle where Jesus has given up everything for us, for you and me to provide something that none of us can provide, right? I, I can't do this for you because I'm not God, because I'm not sinless. Because I'm not Jesus. I, I can't pay that price for you or for me. None of us can do enough to earn what Jesus gave us in this moment. Jesus gave it all up to go to that place. And so the lesson for us as we come to that is that Jesus humbled himself to give us what we need the most. Jesus humbled himself to give us what we need the most. If you think about how we define success, a lot of it's about me, right? Position I have, my reputation, how much money I make. Some of it's about other people. But it's rarely about, at least for me, if I'm honest, humility. I mean, all of us can define success, but preachers have an ego too. Most preachers, when they're young, think they're going to be at some gigantic church, be on staff at a huge church, and they're going to have a reputation and speak at conferences, and we all got an ego. But Jesus humbled himself, emptied himself because of us. And because Jesus humbled himself to give us what we need the most, I think there's some realizations that we need to come to because of the nature of Jesus, because of the way he did this. And first of all, that Jesus is worthy of our trust. Faith and trust in the New Testament are, are virtually the same word. They're, they're tied together. So he's worthy of our faith. He's worthy of our trust. But the point is, Jesus, when he has this position, gives it all up. And yes, he could have come with power and authority and wealth and everything else, but he doesn't. Instead, he chooses to come and be among us and one of us and show us what life is like and then to die for us this humiliating death. And because of all that, he is worthy of us trusting him with the stuff that matters the most. With my life, with how I spend my time and my money, with, with the work that I can do. He's worthy of me trusting him with all that. And that can be really hard to do because I got a plan. I know what I want and I want to pursue that. 
And Jesus says, I emptied myself. I humbled myself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that makes him worthy of our trust. But it goes a step further than that. It makes him worthy of following. You see, our faith is not just a one-time, okay, I believe in Jesus and that's it. We need to come to that point. We need to come to the point that we believe. I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's the Messiah and He's God. But that's really just the beginning. It's not the end. You see, this life of following Jesus is about emulating Him, becoming like Him in any way that we can. And, and that is uncomfortable at times and difficult because it requires us to humble ourselves and give up some of the things that we might want to pursue because of who He is and what He's done. And so we follow this example of one who gave up for others. And it becomes the person that we as Christians, we as the church, want to follow and be like because of who he is. Now, when we started, I didn't give you the context of this passage. I just jumped in and said, Paul's talking about the nature of Jesus. But if you look back, what you find is that Paul does not say in the middle of chapter 2, okay, wake up, all right, everybody listen, because I'm going to tell you some things about Jesus that you need to know. I'm going to lay out his nature. I'm going to talk about the fact that he's a servant, and you need to acknowledge this is the Jesus we're talking about. It's not the way it worked. Actually, Paul is writing to these Christians in Philippi and saying, okay, you know what? This is how you need to treat one another, and it should be like Jesus. Verse 5 reads like this, just before the hymn. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You see, it's not just about acknowledging that Jesus is everything God is in human form. It's not just about acknowledging that Jesus was willing to humble himself or acknowledging that he died on the cross for you and for me. For Paul, in this moment, his goal is to help these Christians understand this is how you should treat one another. Be like Jesus. You see, he's worth following. Because there's no better example of what it means to be a human being than to look at Jesus, the one who humbled himself and made himself a servant for our benefit. So as you think about how you define success, maybe even the bigger picture of what do you want to do with the rest of your life? What are your plans? We look to this passage and say, do my answers to those questions match up with Jesus? Or do they look more like the world around me? And what needs to change? Let's pray together. God, help us to be more like Jesus. It's hard because Jesus did some things that we'd rather not do. 
But God, help us to follow his example in the way that we treat one another. And our families, our friends here at church, the people we work with. Help, us to, help them to see Jesus at work in us. And we pray it in his name. Amen.